place in the offering plate so that uh, Tim or I can call you and get to know you and tell you uh, what God is doing here at Mechanicsville Baptist Church. If you would turn your bulletin over to the back, you'll see the opportunities for the week. Uh, Youth and Ladies Ensemble will continue to meet tonight at 6 o'clock. Youth, I'm going to ask you all, we announced this in Sunday school, but for those of you who weren't here and may be here right now, bring 5 to $10 tonight uh, to go shop for Operation Christmas Child. So we'll be doing that in youth um, and Sound of the Spirit at 7 tonight. Uh, worship team, you'll meet on Tuesday at 6.15, and then Wednesday, uh, morning prayer meeting will be at 11 as usual. And then this Wednesday night at 6.15, Uh, We will have our called business meeting to discuss the budget vote. So please uh, come out and be sure to be here for that. Um, And also you'll see the many activities that we have for Wednesday night services, youth, preschool choir, uh, children's activities, all uh, many different ways that you can come out Wednesday night and be a part of a great fellowship and worship God uh, through coming together as a church in our various activities. Also on Thursday, uh, we will have our fellowship breakfast at 7 a.m. at Cold Harbor Restaurant. And then uh, Women's Ministry, you all have an event at 6.30 on Friday. Uh, They have more details about that. Also, just want to remind you that uh, next Sunday, we will have only one service, and that will be this service at 11 o'clock here in the sanctuary. And then uh, right after the service, we will go over to the Family Life Center and have our Uh, yearly Thanksgiving lunch, which is a great time of fellowship together. Uh, So I just wanted to remind you of that. Now, uh, Elf Karen has an announcement for us. Merry Christmas. It's Operation Christmas Child Time. And did we have fun last week? Together, packing 200 shoeboxes. And look how many more have arrived today. We are getting close to our 403 shoebox goal for this year, the most we've ever done. Next Sunday is our deadline. So please bring your boxes. Um, Your brochures are in the foyer and in the Family Life Center that will have your label, and your envelope to include your $7 shipping donation. Also, in the foyer, you'll find the prayer guide because we should be praying every day um, for these shoeboxes as they travel for the boys and girls who are going to receive them. So, after we finish eating next Sunday, you will hear the jingle of Christmas bells, and that will be your sign to come over and help load all of these boxes into the waiting vehicles right out here. Which brings to mind, we need some waiting vehicles. So if you um, are able to to help transport these boxes just over to New Bethesda Baptist Church, very close, um, please see me uh, after the service or give me a call this week. Uh, because we do need to have those lined up because 403 shoeboxes aren't all going to fit in my car. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the message that we're sharing through a simple gift to bring hope and love to hurting boys and girls around the world 
and to bring them the opportunity to hear about Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Also, uh, if you will look in your bulletin, um, we have Veterans Day on Friday, and today we want to take the opportunity to honor the men and the women that have served our country uh, for so many years through so many different uh, things, and we want to take a moment to recognize them today as we have various veterans from our own congregation uh, that we are so proud of that will be uh, processing in in just a moment. So to do that, would you all please stand to honor our veterans this morning? You may be seated. <clears throat> the best on earth, a Veterans Day tribute. If someone has done military service, they earn the title veteran and more. They earn our deep respect and admiration, but they are special no one can ignore. They sacrifice the comforts we enjoy. The list is long of all the things they gave. Our veterans are extraordinary people. They're loyal, dedicated, true, and brave. When terror and invasion were real threats, they showed us they could handle any storm. We owe our freedoms and our very lives to our veterans who served in uniform. Our veterans should be celebrities. They're exceptional. No other group compares. We're grateful for the many things they've done. They're always in our hearts and in our prayers. We owe our veterans support and friendship. Let no one ever question what they're worth. These men and women served us and our country, our veterans, the very best on earth. Shall we pray? A gracious God, eternal Father, into your presence we bow this morning with thanksgiving and joy in our hearts for the gift of life that you have given to us. 
and for these men who stand in our midst this morning, we are grateful for the service that they have given through the years. Father, we don't know the full extent of the sacrifices they made, and yet we are grateful that because of them, we are able to stand in this place on this day and give thanks for our freedom. We're grateful, Father, for this service of worship, for this time that we can draw near to you as you draw near to us. We pray, Father, for the families of all who are present this morning, for the gift that comes to us through Jesus Christ our Lord, for salvation, for peace, for hope, for joy, and for the love that we can share because you first loved us. We thank you for this country and for the gifts that we are given here in freedom. Thank you for each veteran who stands before us, for the sacrifice that they made, for the gift that they are to this church and to this community. Bless us as we continue to worship. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. It is so awesome to look around in our world each and every day and see the wonders that God has given us, the beauty of the, the earth and the skies that we see every single day. And this morning we come to realize that God has given all of this to us. And we come this morning to praise his name because we know that this is our Father's world. Would you stand as we sing together hymn number 43?
Good morning. I am Reverend Dwight Hedges, and it is a blessing and a privilege to be here with you at Mechanicsville Baptist this morning. I've been asked to share a brief testimony, so I will try to keep it as quick as possible. Um, when I was starting youth ministry, I wasn't comfortable speaking up front with people. And I was with this, this, this person, they said, well, Dwight, when you don't know what to say, just say Jesus a lot. And I, I remember thinking, that's terrible advice because, you know, it's not really content. It's, it's just saying Jesus a lot. But as I, as I think about my testimony as I've grown up, Jesus is my testimony. Jesus is uh, the source of all that I am and who I live for. And, and, and when, I ask, when I'm asked to give my testimony now, it, I just like to talk about Jesus a lot because uh, the more I dwell the more I learn, the more I grow, the more I love Jesus, and the more I understand how much he loves me, and without him, I'm nothing. I received Jesus as my Savior when I was 13. I was in a backpacking trip in the mountains of Colorado, and it was sort of a survival backpacking trip, and it was a Christian camp called Agape Outpost, and we lived out of our backpacks for two two weeks up in the mountains, and for a 13-year-old, it was pretty tough. Uh, and, and I heard all these counselors talking about their relationship with Jesus. Uh, and I knew immediately, being a person who grew up in church, that I was missing that relationship with Jesus. So hearing about the, the they're, they're talking about this, one night I woke up the pastor in the tent, and I said, I, I need to pray and receive Jesus as my Savior. I know I haven't done that. And we prayed, and I accepted Christ into my heart. Uh, that evening in the mountains of Breckenridge, Colorado. Uh, my parents were church planners, bivocational church planners. So church had always been a huge part of my upbringing. We started churches in our houses. They went from houses to schools to schools to a church building. My dad would actually be the one who designed the church building, and we get volunteer teams to build the actual facility of the church. So it was a unique upbringing as a kid because church was just integral to everything we were. Our phone number was the church phone number. I had to answer my phone if somebody called my house when we had phone lines, Pine Drive Baptist Church. That's how I would answer it as, as, as a kid. And so it was, it was an odd sort of situation, but it was also great because our, our, our church was just important. I knew it was important to my parents. I knew they were fully invested into it. And starting a church from scratch in a place where there wasn't a lot of churches was a huge blessing. So in the, the second church we'd, we'd gone through, we'd moved from the house to the school to the building that had just been constructed. We got to a point where we hired a youth pastor, first time ever. We had a small little group. And even though I accepted Christ at 13, without a youth group, there wasn't much in church to be active with. So I was in 10th grade at this time, we got a youth pastor. And he came in, and my parents sat me down, and they said, Dwight, you're a charter member of this church. You're going to go to everything. And I was like, ah. I wasn't, I, I didn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't at the point where I wanted church. I, I wanted it to be the center of my life. I was involved in everything else. But my parents told me that, and I did it. So the first lesson the youth pastor taught, of course, I was forced to go. I sat sort of in the back with my arms crossed. 
And in the middle of the lesson, I can't even tell you the content now, but as he talked about the importance of Christ in this culture, Christ in this church, Christ in our schools, something, the Holy Spirit just rang true. And I was like, I've been putting off my most important relationship far too long, and I've been prioritizing my life in things that weren't of the Lord. At the end of that lesson, I was fully committed. I said, whatever God's going to do with me for the remaining years I have at high school, I'm going to be involved. And, and I was the most active youth group member that we had for 10th to 12th grade. Because of that, because of the way God transformed my heart during the youth group years, I know now God was beginning a great work in me with my calling into student ministry. I didn't know it at the time, but he was basically saying, you were changed because a youth pastor and a church invested in your relationship with Christ. Therefore, you may be a person who's called to reach and disciple people like yourself. And I think that's, that's somehow sometimes how God works. So because of that, I believe I was being called into ministry. I still didn't surrender to that call for a while. I went to a Christian college. I just knew I knew I wanted a, a Christian education when I went to college. And I went to Southwest Baptist University. And in doing so, I gravitated towards sort of volunteering in youth groups and churches I'd attend. Just, uh, it was, it was, I had an interest in seeing young people discipled in the Lord. And then I was going off to graduate school. And uh, one Wednesday night, I was in the back, and they were calling a youth pastor at this particular church I was working in, and they had the committee up front, very interesting public way to do it, but they talked about their candidates that they had for this youth pastor position at the church. Of the, the, the youth, I loved these youth, and none of them was there any mention of, I'm called into youth ministry, or I'm called into ministry, period. It was just... Well, this guy has time. He's a, he's a part-time person, but he could work with our youth. This guy over here could do this. And I was sitting here thinking, well, what does it take to be a youth pastor? I didn't even really know because I've just kind of been doing it. And so I called my youth pastor friend that uh, discipled me when I was young, and I was like, what does it take to go into youth ministry? And I'm sure he knew what the Lord was doing, but I was just sort of almost just asking. And he's like, you have to love the Lord with all your heart. You have to... Uh, love young people, and you have to be fully prepared in, in ministry in, in, to be fully equipped to be a youth pastor. And, and, and my, my heart was like, not criticizing, I was like, I don't know if those people were fully equipped. They weren't, they weren't surrendering to education or to training or to experience. They just, they just wanted to fill a role. And I thought the youth ministry position is a high calling. And immediately, God said, I, I want you to do this, and I want you to be trained and equipped. So I went off to seminary. I was in graduate school for a, another program. I went off to seminary, and uh, I got my, my master's degree uh, from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City. In doing so, the call had been affirmed. I, I started serving in local churches, uh, serving in youth groups, and and. God used me, even though I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, I think God just uses people who are available and are willing to be equipped, willing to be trained. And God used me in these groups, and God did wonderful things. And 
I developed a passion for missions. I developed a passion for really understanding our young people are, are being put into a culture that is oppositional to Christianity, and we have to strengthen them as fully as possible, or they're going to be destroyed. And so, so I really took ministry serious. We had a lot of fun, but I really wanted our, our young people to be as strong as they could be in their walk. I wanted them to be fully committed followers of Christ. And so as I grew, my passion in, in all kinds of ministry with youth grew. And, uh, and I didn't even know if there was such a thing as a full-time youth pastor position back 20 years ago. But a church called me to just do full-time ministry in Nebraska. And as, as I went through that church and, and went to here, uh, to Virginia, my call stayed the same. Youth ministry, youth ministry, youth ministry. And I, I, just, I just believe that that's, uh, through all the ups and downs of life, that when God calls you to something and you're faithful to that, he keeps you, he keeps you in that. And uh, I've had lots of good support and mentors and family support through all these years. And it's exciting to be in a place where uh, my passion for Jesus and my passion, passion for youth has never changed. I had a youth pastor who, uh, we, start, we were doing mission trips. We'd do campground ministry. We'd do all kinds of different mission trips, local ministry, homeless ministry, uh, really good things. And uh, he said, I want you to take your, your group on an international mission trip. And I said, I don't need to do that. I don't need to do that. We're doing good. God's doing good things with what we have. He said, just do it once, Dwight. If it doesn't work out, you don't ever have to do it again. And uh, this was this was you know, eighteen nineteen years ago maybe, and I took the tri- the group on a trip, and it was such a powerful experience for the, those young people and for the adults that were with us that I, I kind of made a covenant with God that I was going to try to mobilize people on international mission trips in any capacity I could since, and I've been doing twenty years of international mission trips and leading trips, and it's become a real important part of youth ministry, seeing their eyes exposed to, to Christ in other cultures and, and, and the Great Commission really coming to life before their eyes. And, uh, and at the same time, it takes young people and it, it gives them a purpose to share Jesus in the strongest way possible when they come back. And so, so God has blessed me through, through rich ministry over the years, and I'm excited for what God is doing here at Mechanicsville Baptist. Your young people are amazing. Your parents of the young people are amazing. The committee that I've worked with here have been, had such a wonderful heart that from the very moment this started, I had a real affirmation that this, this was the place that God was sending our family. And, uh, and, and I, I believe that that has, has stayed very true, and I appreciate uh, everyone here. I want to read this scripture. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
part of, of, of that, it really resonates with my call and with the call that we have to disciple young people, that we need to be rooted and grounded in the truth, in love, and we need to have Christ fill us up to the fullness of himself and the fullness of God. And that I think if we don't challenge one another to, to just uh, fill, be filled to the fullness of God, we're going to be filled with a little bit. And we're going out, out, out into the world, and we're going to be defeated. Every single person in Christ is called to be fully devoted to him. And that's how a world is going to be changed. And uh, when my kids were young, we went to the zoo a lot. They still go to the zoo some. One of Bryson or Matthew, I think they asked, why are there giant goldfish in the lakes of the zoo? Giant fish. When at home, we had the little goldfish in the bowl. And I didn't know. I didn't know why they were so much bigger. So I, I did a little research. And it turns out when you put a goldfish, the same goldfish, if you put them in a, a, a bowl at home, it produces an enzyme. And the enzyme stunts their growth. So they don't grow. They kind of are kept small in the size of your, in, your, in your bowl. But if you take that same goldfish and you put them in a large body of water, even though there's dangers and there's, there's predators and there's things that could take their life, when they get into a large body of water, they don't produce that enzyme. And so they're allowed to grow to this large proportion that they are. And that's, that's the church. That's being a Christ follower. God t- tells us to go into the world but not be of the world. To take Jesus and, and not be kept small and safe, but to be large and useful to the kingdom. And even though it's dangerous, even though it's scary... This world needs Jesus. Jesus is my testimony. Thank you for having me. Dwight, it is a pleasure to have you and your family here this morning. And I know at the conclusion of our service, our folks are going to come up and introduce themselves to you and get a chance to meet you as well. Uh, You have given us a great segue into our next time of worship through music. You know, God does ask us to be faithful to our service to him and be committed fully to service to him. So I would ask we, we use this next hymn as a time of commitment as we stand and sing together 604, Come All Christians Be Committed to the Service of the Lord.
Good morning. I'd like to thank all y'all for praying for me during my last illness. Let us pray. Father, we ask you to bless this offering this morning. Use it to strengthen missions all over the world. We bless each shoebox that's been displayed this morning. And now, Lord, we just ask you to bless the gift and the giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I first met this woman when she was the young, tender age of 82. Today is, uh, yesterday was Eunice Bowles' 90th birthday. And uh, if you will look in your bulletin, you will see that the flowers uh, on the communion table this morning are given in honor of Eunice on the occasion of her 90th birthday by her family. And many of her family members are here with her today. So Eunice, you... You stand first. You can stand. Let everybody see you. Help. And we wish her a happy birthday. And then if you're part of Eunice's family and you're here today, I want people to see you. Will you stand up? She has family members from 
Virginia to California here today, and we are grateful that they have come to celebrate this day with her, and we uh, appreciate Eunice, and uh, I appreciate Eunice very much, and I'm grateful that we could recognize her on this uh, special weekend uh, in her life. Our scripture this morning is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, verses 1 and 2. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. After the tragic bombing of a marine base in Beirut, Lebanon in October 1983, the steadfastness of one young soldier moved and heartened Americans back home. He had been critically wounded in the explosion of the revamped hotel where he and his fellow Marines had been staying. Many of his buddies had been killed. He was covered with bandages and a jungle of tubes were attached to his body. He could not speak. Yet when he was visited by General Paul Kelly, Commandant of the Marine Corps, he indicated that he wanted to write something. Painfully, he wrote the words, Semper Fi. A shortened form of the U.S. Marine Corps motto, Semper Fi Delis, which means always faithful. We have all been called by God to be faithful stewards. Can you imagine anything more wonderful than hearing the God of all creation pronounce the final benediction upon your life in these words? You have been faithful. Enter the joy of your master. Can you imagine any statement more totally devastating than that other verdict? You wicked and slothful servant. In his imperative that a steward be trustworthy or faithful, it is his responsibility to remember that his master's things are not his. His things are his master's. The one requirement of a steward is that he is dependable. The faithful steward has faith in God, the creator. Faith says that God is owner of all. The scripture is very clear in Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. God is the ultimate owner of all that is. He created and sustains the world. The world answers to God whether the world understands that or not. Both Old and New Testament statements constantly remind us that God holds the title of ownership to all the world. We belong to God. The story of creation in Genesis tells us that God created us in His own image. The parable in our scripture lesson reminds us That our lives are a sacred trust from God. Paul reminded the Corinthians that we belong to God because of Christ's redemption. Listen to those beautiful words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This marvelous statement is the classic expression of Christian stewardship. We belong to God even more than we belong to our own families. 
God has redeemed us through Jesus Christ. He has shown us the light through His life and through His death and through the power of His resurrection. And He calls to us to understand that we belong to Him. And because we belong to Him, we are to be faithful stewards in His service. God gave us this land that we live in. Deuteronomy 26.9 illustrates how people of faith acknowledge that God gives to them the small portions of land that they in turn have tilled for their needs and for His glory. The Old Testament further stresses the tentativeness of this trust by reminding us that God gives us the power to get wealth. Furthermore, the Hebrews were forbidden to sell the land in perpetuity since it always reverts to God. We are who we are by the grace of God. We must never forget that. We have all had the opportunity to make a living. We all have had an opportunity to make our way in this world because of the grace and the mercy of God. All that we are rests with Him. Things then are understood for us in terms of faith. Because you see, I believe also that work has a faith purpose. Humans toil, human toil when seen in the light becomes creative. It has religious meaning because people work with God in creation. We are called to be co-laborers with Christ. So responsibility to God includes both the sacred and the secular. People who have faith blend the sacred and the secular because their God is Lord of all. Earning a living is endowed with the same sacred meaning as is the worship service on Sunday morning. God has given us opportunities the other six days of the week and we are responsible to God to do what is right in His sight. We are called to be stewards in faithfulness. The faithful steward has faith in the individual, God's creature. You see, our origin is in God. The scripture is very clear about that, isn't it? If we are believers of the scripture, we believe that we were created by God. Life is focused on God. Since God is my creator, my life must be lived in terms of God's purpose for me. It's a personal relationship with God. And He has a purpose and a plan for you. This requires that I constantly look to Him to get my bearings. As painful as it was in the ball game yesterday in Blacksburg, I always enjoy the entrance. It's worth the trip up there for that. On this particular day, they were um, the pregame uh, activities. I had the military precision band, the Heidi Tidies, along with the whole corps on the field. They marched onto the field. It's the largest corps that Virginia Tech has had since 1968. And so all these uh, cadets came onto the field. And I noticed something different this time. Maybe I just hadn't seen it before. But they have a mascot dog. And it looks to be a golden retriever or a, uh, a yellow Labrador retriever. Couldn't quite tell at the distance. And that dog had a handler that took care of him, had him on the leash, and I noticed, because I'm a dog lover, so if I see a dog, I'm gonna, I want to look at the dog. So I noticed that as the dog was making his way along the field on the parade ground, that 
uh, he occasionally would look up at his hammock as if to say, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I in the right place? And then when they got to the place that they were to stand, as uh, the festivities continued, I still was watching him. And every now and then he would look up at his handler as if to say, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Now, it was a sellout crowd there yesterday of 66,000 people. And that dog didn't care about anybody in that stadium but the one who handled him and took care of him. He wanted to make sure that his handler was being pleased. That's the kind of relationship we should have with God in a world that's filled with so many things that have the tendency to take us away from what is important and what should focus our attention. We find ourselves looking in every direction but the one we should look in, and that is to God. The Scripture is clear. I am not my own to do as I will with my life. Freedom is never the license to do as I please, but is rather liberation from my bondage so that I can fulfill the task for which God created me. Our purpose in this life is to serve God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. We are to care for the earth. At creation, God placed us in dominion over the rest of His creation. The proper care of it related, is related to our purpose in living. The waste and exploitation of nature in modern times would be inconceivable if people were really living by faith. We must protect what we have in order to provide for the people who come behind us. We are to care for other people. We are to love them. Biblical faith constantly reminds us that we can express our love for God only as we care for God's creation and especially for the other people God has created. We are told that we cannot claim to be honoring God if we are oppressing our neighbor. We show our love to God through our love For fellow humans. The scripture is clear on this as well. In 1 John we are told they will know who we are by our love. We are to glorify God. To serve and worship Him. Glorifying God is living in such a relationship to God within creation. That we reflect His own holiness back to Him. We do this through serving and worshiping God. We have a responsibility to be light in the world. We have a responsibility to allow others to see. That because of the love of God that has transformed us. We are willing to love you. And part of loving people is sharing with them. The good news of salvation. Dwight had it right, didn't he, when he said, stand up and talk about Jesus. If we don't have Jesus, I don't have anything to say. That makes all the difference in why we are here, doesn't it? We could just be some other civic club, some other community organization, if it weren't for the power that is given to us through Jesus Christ. And we are called to be stewards In faith to him. The faithful steward translates all of life into personal terms. For after all, our relationship with Christ is a personal relationship. It is unique to you. 
Faith in God and humanity endows creation with a personal character. People are the master of material things. Not only does the Bible teach us that people are to have dominion over created things and use them for the good of humanity and the glory of God, but it also tells us that people commit idolatry when they allow their material possessions to master them. People are forbidden to bow down to idols of wood or stone or precious metal. They also are forbidden to worship money and the affluence it will buy in our day. For this too is idolatry. We can allow money to serve us or we can serve our money. So people are always more important than things. The faithful steward keeps personal values in clear focus and never allows the things of the world to be used for injustice toward people. It is precisely for this reason that faithful stewards will give of their means to care for the needs of others and to see that others hear the good news of God. Why is it, do you think, that we do the kinds of things that we do here to help people who are in need? We have a responsibility to help people who have need. And we do our part. And maybe we could do more. But if everybody took seriously the responsibility of caring for other people, the world would be a different place. So people are trustees under God over nature. We are servants of God and masters of nature. We always live in this in-between role and therein we learn what it is to be made in the image of God. We have a measure of sovereignty over nature as He has total sovereignty over all. We express this sovereignty with God by serving Him. We are co-workers with God. As we subdue nature and serve our fellow humans, we enter into God's creative work. Human life could have no greater meaning nor depth than this conviction of faith. We are to be found faithful. For the faithful steward lives by faith. Living by faith is different than living by sight. Paul reminded the Corinthians, we walk by faith not by sight, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. This reminder has several applications for us. Life faces uncertainty. The parable of the stewards, you know, in Matthew, laid stress on that uncertainty. Two of the stewards overcame their uncertainty by faith. The other rejected faith. Remember, they went and invested, and the one went and buried his talent. Faithful Christian stewards are able to face the uncertainty of tomorrow because of the strength of their convictions today. Faith is what makes a difference in our lives and in the church and in our communities. Living involves taking risk. We don't like to take risk. And the older I get, the less risk I like to take, particularly when it comes to physical things. I shared with them in the first service. There was a time that I would have stood here and jumped there and not given it a second thought. Well, not only do I give it a second thought, I give it a third and a fourth thought because I know when I get there, it's going to hurt. But we are people that take risk in faith, not calculated risk either. 
The unfaithful steward was condemned precisely because he would not take the risk that faith is willing to take. Furthermore, when he faces his master, he denied the responsibility of his stewardship and actually blamed the master for being a hard man. His last excuse was, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 25, I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear cringes and withdraws and hides. Faith stands up and takes the risk of tomorrow with confidence in knowing that if we are to be stewards for Christ, we are to be found faithful. Life has promise. Faithful stewards accept the promises of God and walk by faith where they cannot see. And the scripture tells us it is our task to do so. The psalmist got it right, didn't he, when he said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord. And he gave sovereignty to God even in that in creation when he said, the creator of heaven and earth. The condemnation of the wicked steward is for his refusal to take the risk of faith. The risk was investment. The unfaithful steward refused to invest the talent entrusted to him that it may grow. By hiding it, it was actually diminished. If we hide our faith from the world in which we work and serve, it will be diminished. And then we have only ourselves to blame when people aren't hearing the gospel. Stewardship is synonymous with with management. God has entrusted us with certain abilities, talents, possessions, and time. Life, Life consists of the management of those for God's glory and humankind's usefulness. This man rejected the essence of life. He did not take what God had given him and manage it properly. And he was condemned. Condemned for his unbelief, all of judgment comes to bear on this theme of stewardship. John tells us in 3.18, He who believes in me is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only Son of God. But the faithful steward is commended for being faithful. For faithful stewards live by faith. This means that their life is determined by their convictions about God and humanity and the world. This means that they are willing to face the uncertain future and take the risk of life by living in a world under God with people over material things. The rejection of faith is the rejection of God. The Apostle Paul argues persuasively that our justification before God is purely a matter of our faith in Jesus Christ. James tells us how important faith is, doesn't he? He will tell you very clearly that faith without works is dead. He echoes Paul when Paul says very clearly to us that It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. The commendation also emphasizes the quality of faithfulness as one lives by faith. There are degrees of faithfulness. Some people are more faithful than others. That's just the way life is. Some are more capable than others. And you know what? God knows the difference. You and I are challenged by this parable in Matthew of the unfaithful steward to put our sacred trust In God. 
we are stewards of God. The question is whether or not we are faithful stewards. One of the clearest insights into our faithfulness is the way we manage the material resources we are entrusted with. You are asked to consider your own stewardship of material things as you understand what it means to be a follower of Christ in faith. A baseball player once indicated that his ambition in life was to hear his coach say at the time of his player's retirement, you are the best baseball player I have ever coached. How much more should we Christians live our lives with a joyful expectation and determination that at the end of the journey, God will say to us, you have been faithful. Bankers must be honest. Soldiers must be brave. Watchmen must be vigilant. Runners must be swift. Weightlifters must be strong. Stewards must be faithful. We have had the opportunity today to see men who gave or were willing to give their lives to keep us free. On Thursday, I had the opportunity to take a group from here to the Marine Corps Museum. And it just so happened, coincidentally, to be the 241st birthday of the Marine Corps. That's older than Eunice. Just see if you're awake, Eunice. Okay. <laughs> 241 years. And uh, in their uh, celebration, and we were there for the celebration at noon, they have a time-honored tradition that on the Marine Corps birthday that the oldest Marine present and the youngest Marine present get the first and second pieces of cake and the oldest one present cuts the cake. The oldest one there was born in 1925. The youngest one was born in 1995. Seventy years apart. But they had the same mission, didn't they? And that mission was to carry out the orders that were given to them on their field of service. And because they did so, we are here today, unmolested, unharassed, because they kept us free. That kind of dedication is the kind of dedication, and more so, that God requires of His faithful stewards as we give ourselves to as I was going through the museum, I spent a great deal of time in the area that was dedicated to the Battle of Iwo Jima. Very difficult, hard-fought battle won by the Marine Corps. You know the symbolism of the flag being raised on the mountain there. And I couldn't help but think of my friend Billy Granger. He passed away a few years ago since I've been here. And I've had the privilege to talk to many World War II veterans through the years, and they share with me things that they probably wouldn't share with other people simply because of what I represent. And he said to me, you know, he couldn't call me Tim. He called me Mr. Madison. 
He said, you know, Mr. Madison, when we went into Iwo Jima, they told, uh, Tokyo Rose told us, you know, the propaganda woman from Japan, that the 3rd Marine Corps Division would be able to call roll in a phone booth when it was over. And he said, you know, when it came to the people I was fighting with, it wasn't far from the truth. That's sacrifice. That's a willingness to do what is right in the face of adversity. And as followers of Christ, we are called to be that faithful and more. Shall we pray? Father, we're thankful that you have called us to be stewards in the work for you. We're grateful that we have the opportunity to be faithful in our witness to others. Help us, Father, to recommit ourselves to serving you now and in the future. Not as a people walking blind, but as a people of faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is number 276. O Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Be thou forever near me, my master and my friend. He's made it very clear that he is with us always. I don't know whether Dwight said it in this service, but he said it in the first service. We live in a world that is against us as followers of Christ. But you know what? He is for us. And if he is for us, there is no force against us that could ever overtake us. The invitation is open. Will you stand and sing?
thank you for being a part of this service today. In the first service, Mark Fisher, one of our youth, came forward accepting Christ into his heart, and he will be baptized next week in our first service. And John's going to do that again since he had the opportunity to speak to him. So we're grateful for Mark, and he uh, was greeted by those in the first service. Uh, in this service, we have Dwight and his family here, and uh, I'm not going to put them on the spot. Uh, they will be here in the front, though, uh, for you to greet and ask any questions that you might have. They spent a great deal of time with the youth yesterday evening and into the night uh, and with the youth parents, and we are grateful that he's been with us. And next week, in our joint service, we will vote uh, to extend the call to Dwight, so I hope that you will be here for that. And we will be having our Thanksgiving meal Materials are supposed to be delivered tomorrow, but uh, they've made a liar out of me so many times, I'm afraid to say a whole lot. So if you see the materials here tomorrow, you'll know that they were right and they told me right. But there should, they should be here tomorrow to begin the project on our roof. So we will be able to have our meal next week, though, because they start on the outside and we can still use the inside. So I think that brings you up to date. Uh, let's bow for benediction. Gracious Lord, as we depart on this day that you have given to us, we rejoice in the hope that rests in knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As we leave, Father, may we be found faithful in your service in a world that needs the message that we have through Jesus Christ. Bless us as we depart.